Welcome to Dare to Try, a Tata podcast that celebrates the eureka moment. We hear stories from entrepreneurs who've risked everything to realize their dreams, and not just talking about it, but putting their ideas into action. In this episode, we talk to Ben Jeffries, who founded Influencer. He spotted a gap in the market at age 16 and is now an award-winning entrepreneur at 21. It's easy to see why Ben is already a success. He's brimming with energy, enthusiasm and passion for his business. Ben is founder of one of the first UK influencer marketing agencies. He saw an opportunity for connecting brands with consumers on social media while marketing a clothing brand he launched while still at school. Jeffries realised that with the increasing use of ad blockers, he would have to come up with creative solutions to advertise his business online. Roll on the micro-celebrities that would help him finesse his marketing agency idea, which became Influencer. Welcome to Dare to Try, Ben. Thank you very much. That's quite an intro, isn't it? It is quite an intro. Are you feeling a bit like, I've done all that? I'm thinking, all of that sounds so long ago. It does it. It doesn't sound like it's been within the last sort of three to six months or even, you know, last year because everything's just happening so sort of fast. There's so many things happened since then, which is, you know, moving the business further along. So, Ben, you are obviously very young. You were born in the 90s, which kind of blows my mind because I am old. But let's talk about what it was like jumping into business so young. I can't even imagine doing something at the age of 16, like starting a clothing business, which is exactly what you did. Yeah, I mean, it was something which was, I guess, as you said, a different sort of adventure for someone who is 16-year-old. It's not sort of the standard thing. I think most 16-year-olds would be probably playing FIFA in their room or watching Netflix. But it was something which got my appetite going and got me motivated within business. So, yeah. What does breeze mean? Breeze actually means chatting breeze. So me and my friends used to have a saying that when someone was just chatting rubbish within our friendship group, we'd say, like, you know, stop chatting breeze. And we often joke that it'd be quite funny if someone set up a clothing brand with the word breeze on it. So I sort of took a spontaneous sort of decision to actually go out and contact quite a few suppliers and try and do it myself. And you were just having the last laugh with all these people walking around with breeze on their T-shirts, thinking it was this kind of hip new saying, but you knew the the (laughs) truth. Yeah, my my friends always say, like, how did you manage to actually get people to wear it? Because if people knew what the word breeze literally meant, they'd be like, you know, why am I going to walk around with this on my T-shirt? But um, no, I I think people just thought it was similar to the word hype and hype clothing got quite successful, so people were sort of into it. And when I had the clothing brand, I thought, okay, well, let's try and think of something cool to advertise the products. And when I was young, if I saw someone like Ronaldinho wearing a pair of football boots, I'd always want those pair of football boots. But obviously, as a 16-year-old kid, I couldn't afford Ronaldinho to be wearing my clothing. So I thought, what's the next best thing? And that was someone maybe like a Chelsea reserve team player, such as these micro-celebrities that you were talking about, actually wearing the clothes. So I reached out to quite a few of them. So you went for these Chelsea reserve players. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, if you'd said that to a marketing company, they would have gone, that's a terrible idea. Who's going to notice what Joe Chelsea reserve team guy is wearing? That's what kind of spurred me on to start Influencer. Because if I went to a marketing agency to get them to help me out with these micro celebrities, they would say to me, what are you doing? Reach out to these top sort of celebrities. Or we don't know how to reach out to them or... We don't even know how to price them. So I saw a really big gap in the market, I guess you could say, because these micro-celebrities that we were actually using, they had a much higher engagement than these big celebrities. So what I mean by engagement is, you know, likes and comments on their actual posts. 
So you mean if somebody is a massive name, Kim Kardashian yeah. tweets about wearing something, whatever it is, of course, that's going to have a certain amount of footprint, a certain amount of take up. But I guess a lot of people also ignore it, don't they? Whereas if you've got somebody who people are massive fans of and they're really engaged with, you might get 10,000 people that translate directly into sales. Yeah, I mean, the difference is between these micro-influencers, I guess you'd call them, and then these macro-influencers. So someone who might follow Kim Kardashian might follow her because they've heard her name, they're just interested in finding out gossip. They might want to know information about her personal life or, you know, her sisters. Whereas someone who follows a micro-influencer doesn't follow them because of their name. They follow them because they're actually interested in what they post about. So take, for example, a food blogger. Someone follows them because they want to find out about food recipes. So if you can blend sort of a branded deal within that, it seems a much more authentic advertisement. So obviously when you were ringing up all those clothing manufacturers to try and make breeze, you didn't have any money. How are you doing it? I mean, working with kind of obviously a very, very limited budget, how did you get things going? How did you get things flowing, get that budget flowing? And also what did you learn from that, I guess, when you launched Influencers? I guess in terms of raising money initially for Breeze, what I used is this website called, uh, I think it was Hubble. It was basically a smaller version of Kickstarter, but for people who were in school, So I was able to get pre-orders to have enough money to actually get the first sort of stock out. And, you know, as I was pushing it out further and further, I then have more money to reinvest into both marketing and then also reinvest into more stock. That's fascinating. So you started really small. It was literally just orders from from local schools. Yeah, you know, local schools, local friends, and, you know, word of mouth reputation sort of picks up. And, you know, with the help of social media, Instagram was just sort of starting at that time. And that massively helped with sales because people were just, you know, uploading photos of them wearing the clothing on Twitter, on Facebook. So I guess that must have acted on a very small scale, like a roadmap for Influencer. Yeah, exactly. Because I was building all these relationships with these micro celebrities as well, because I was getting them to wear my clothing. I was giving them free clothing out. I was paying them to wear this. And that formed the base sort of relationships. Then when I did start Influencer, I had these connections already. Okay, then, how do you convince people with money to back you when you're talking about micro-celebrities, when you're talking about a load of people that essentially they probably haven't heard of? Yeah, I think it's to do with the engagement rate. So if you look at someone's profile, such as, let's just say, Ronaldinho, who we have worked with in the past on some slightly larger-scale campaigns, because we do work with both macro-celebrities and micro-celebrities, so the macro-celebrities will have an engagement rate of between 1% and 3%. Whereas these micro-influencers can have anywhere from 3 up to 15%. And that clearly shows that people are much more engaged within their content. But the actual trick is that their cost per follower is about the same. So when you could purchase one sort of macro-celebrity, you could actually work with 20 micro-celebrities as well. And you could have a much more engaged campaign. And then it stretches even further because you've now got, I guess, 15 pieces of content if you're using those 15 micro-celebrities. And then even going further... It stretches the authenticity because you've got more sort of brand advocates, more sort of super fans talking about your brand. Let's say someone follows five of those accounts. They're seeing a repetitive endorsement, so it's encouraging them more to sort of act on the endorsement. That is fascinating. I love the way your eyes lit up there. It's encouraging them even more. Can you tell us one of your stories that you're most proud of about Influencer? Because we're being theoretical right now. Give us an actual example of Influencer really working. Um, I mean, we've worked on some really exciting campaigns. One of my favourites was probably European Bartender School that we did last year. I mean, I really liked it just because I'm a massive fan of the brand myself. And this brand basically allows students, but, you know, any sort of real age, but that's their core target market is students, to basically go all around the world and basically have a holiday, but also get their bartending qualification. And we got our influencers to go on these trips with them and actually post content while they're out there. 
And that was really successful. And it's quite interesting because the guy who was working there as head of marketing has since moved on to a different company. And now we're working with him on of his course. new company. Excellent. That's how it always works. Network. It's all about the network, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And, and to think it all started with, you know, you making T-shirts for your mates at school. I think that's wonderful. I'm going to stop here so we can hear from someone with some invaluable advice about spotting opportunities where many miss them. Hi, I'm Amit Sharma. I head marketing for Formula One and media business at Tata Communications. I think brands can connect with their customers emotionally in a very strong manner by working on a common passion and making a genuine contribution towards that. To give a Tata Communications example, we're very passionate about how digital can improve businesses and change lives. And we've been applying that passion in the world of sports by making new age fan experiences possible. And that's helping us connect with customers who are passionate about both technology and sports. Uh, we run a crowdsourcing innovation program, which allows our customers to actually be a part of this process and create technology-led experiences of the future for their favorite sport, building a very strong emotional connection. So, Ben, who are your major influences? Who's guided you along this journey? And have there been any moments where you've really thought about a piece of advice from them where it's really resonated in your head as you've had to make a decision about something? Yeah, I mean, my parents are quite entrepreneurial themselves, so my dad set up his own business he does financial mentoring, and my mum's actually a mentor for the Prince's Trust, so she supports young people in business. But in terms of sort of a celebrity mentor, I think Gary Vaynerchuk in the States is probably one of my hugest influences to me. He's the CEO of VaynerMedia, one of the largest marketing companies out there, and he's quite got an active presence, I guess, on social media with over a million followers. And he basically talks about all these entrepreneurial quotes, one of which is consistent hustle. And... I have recently undertaken a new business partner who's become almost like a co-founder with an influencer, and he's Casper Lee. He's got over 12 million subscribers on YouTube. I guess the actual contract negotiation between Casper and I took quite a long time, six months. And between me and Casper, we always joke there was a consistent hustle between each other, trying to get to the exact deal which we both wanted. Ever since, for example, Casper's come on board, again, you know, that's opened so many new doors for influence and it's going to be a really exciting next few months. Yeah, you're definitely someone who's kind of plugged into lots of different influences there. It feels like it's in your blood, though. Your mum and dad, this is what you grew up kind of witnessing, I guess. That was the conversation at home was about doing things for yourself, working for yourself and not just going to get a boring nine to five. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think because I got the appetite for business quite early on, that sort of helped me get motivated and I think working in sort of an industry such as influencer marketing, I mean, you meet the most incredible people, you get to go to the coolest meetings, the coolest events. I think that really helps me to stay focused and energised within the actual topic. So I think that's quite exciting. Were you actually any good at school, Ben? Um, I was reasonably good. But I mean, when it, you know, went on to university, I sort of slowed down a little bit as my focus went more into to influence business yeah of course but, which makes total sense doesn't it anyway i was going to ask you whether your parents had an issue with the amount of time you spent on social media did they um were there those moments where they were like i'm taking the ipad now ben? Oh, always 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 but i think that's just you know a generation thing if i'm <laughs> honest but now i can just sort of say no no you know working on research and stuff like that so <laughs> can sort of twizzle it a little bit well, let's talk about the fact that you have, you know, obviously been running these businesses from a very early age. It's been just you. What was that one moment where you really realised you had to roll up your sleeves and take a deep breath 
take a leap and maybe think this is a huge risk. What am I doing? Do you remember a moment like that? Sure. I think it was probably the defining moment of when I raised the finance on CrowdCube. So I was at the time on placement at Royal Dutch Shell in Canary Wharf. And it was that decision where I was like, OK, wow, I've, you know, I've been fortunate enough to raise this amount of money via CrowdCube. I managed to raise £152,000 in about 24 hours, which is quite cool. But I was kind of like, OK, I can't continue my placement at Shell. I need to focus my attention on influencer. And this would mean having to drop out of university. And I think that was my really defining moment because obviously the norm is, you know, you have to go to university and then you can sort of start up a business if that's the route you want to go down. But I thought, OK, well, I've got this gift on a plate to take influence to the next level. It would be silly for me not to sort of take that leap. And I guess all your friends are at university, are they? Again, I'm quite fortunate because one of my best mates also dropped out of university. So he was at King's and then he set up his own aerial cinematography company. So that was quite cool because I had that sort of support from there as well. I was going to say it could actually be quite lonely, I guess, if it was just you going, see you later, guys. I'm just going to go and do my thing now. And they were all like, whoa, good luck, Ben. But, you know, you're mad. There were definitely, I guess you could say, lonely moments. Like when I first dropped out and I focused on influencer, I was working in an office in Tunbridge Wells where my parents live. And I was literally by myself, just amongst recruitment companies who were all people aged around 40 years old. And I was thinking, this isn't right for me. I need to be in London. I need to be in sort of a buzz where I can get more energy. So that was a bit of a lonely moment, so to speak. It's very easy to throw around these crowdfunding platforms, but undertaking a crowdfund is a whole other story. Can you tell us just about how you engaged with that platform? Yeah, of course. So I was quite fortunate because someone in the year above me at Bath University had previously gone to a Crowdcube campaign and I just spoke to him about it and asked him the sort of process. And I joined this Crowdcube accelerator programme called Crowd10 Idea Square, had a quick chat with them, just basically explained where we wanted to be and the sort of investment hopes we wanted. And they basically said, yeah, you know, it's perfectly possible. So in the lead up to when our Crowdcube campaign actually went live, although it does say, okay, we raised £100,000 in 24 hours, there is obviously a mass buildup of where you're preparing stuff like turning your business plan from a personal business plan to an investor business plan, going for various coffees with people just to give them sort of an introduction to the company. From the moment then when we actually went live, we were fortunate to get £100,000 in 24 hours and £152,000 in three days. Incredible. So you're kind of priming the network ready for the launch and then do you just email them all a massive mail out saying, we're live, give us your money. It literally was like that. I mean, we have to prime the network because we have to let people know in advance, in a way not to let them miss out, but also to egg on a bit of interest so that when it does go live on Crowdkeep, it's very much if people see something going quite well, other people want to immediately join in because they risk, you know, not being part of that bandwagon. There was a Crowdcube campaign with this company called Monzo, which was almost sold out in about seven seconds or something crazy. That's I mean, so insane. Although we did it 24 hours, we, we weren't actually the quickest. Yeah, guys, can you tell us about who you were going to in this network? Were they people that you already knew that you had relationships with or were you doing a lot of cold calling? It was really through LinkedIn. I mean, we had sort of commitments of around 40% before it went live. But of that 40%, only around 15% actually pulled through, whether that was because they missed the boat or because they just didn't want to anymore. People do back out. But I literally typed into LinkedIn angel investor. I was adding literally every single person because LinkedIn's quite good because you can sort of export people's emails once they sort of accept you. So then when that happened, that was the initial email shot that I would send out to all of the people saying, we're now live on Crowdcube, come on. 
when you were talking to CrowdCube and pitching to them, how did you make yourself stand out? I mean, it's hard to be unique in any marketplace. How did you make Influencer really have that edge? I think at the time when we went on to CrowdCube, this was October last year, so it was you know, 12 months ago, well, ages ago, there wasn't really too many competitors out there. So it was quite a fresh sort of space, although Influencer marketing is quite common now. And we had different angles. So with the actual raise we were hoping to get, we were hoping to build a platform, which has now been completed. So that provided some fresh sort of incentive for people to get involved. But also we worked on quite a few unique campaigns. So we'd worked with stars such as Ronaldinho, Amy Willerton, Oliver Proudlock at that time. So that obviously spurred on a bit of interest. And then we had quite a strong team behind us as well. So not only myself, but at the time we had a good head of business development, we had well-connected people within the company who had, I guess, a good network of contacts. How did you surround yourself with the right people? Um, it was just through consistent networking, I guess. Again, LinkedIn's a powerful tool. I mean, people underrate it. But if you are willing to sort of never miss a cup of coffee or anything like that, then you really can meet people who can open doors to other people. So let's just say that you have the opportunity now to say something to yourself, give yourself a piece of advice. Like we're going back to the moment when you were setting up Breeze. What would it be that you would say to young Ben Jeffries now, knowing everything that you know? Just don't be afraid to make those sacrifices. I mean, of course, there were many sort of hiccups along the journey. And I guess it was these hiccups which continuously spurred me to keep going. I didn't at any moment where perhaps people might have interpreted it as failure, stop. I just kept going. So, for example, that Virgin Media competition, when I didn't win that, I didn't see that as a failure. I simply saw it as advice that I was given from all these like experienced judges, like there was the CEO of Cambridge Satchel Company, the head of investments for Virgin, all offering advice on the business. And that kind of spurred me to keep going. Then I managed to win Young Startup Talent, which again was a nice confidence boost. Then I went on to CrowdCube. So, you know, there are short-term sacrifices you will make and there are also stepping stones which might be interpreted as failures but just keep going and hopefully one day you can get that sort of billion dollar company (laughs) inspiring words don't we all want that well ben thank you so much for coming and sharing your story on dare to try Dare to Try is a Tata production. To learn more about how Tata supports innovation and entrepreneurs, follow us on Twitter at Tata Europe. Listener.